Crossfade. The Daily Talk Show. A conversation sometimes worth recording with Josh Jansen and Tommy Jacket. It's a Daily Talk Show in Los Angeles with my friend Joshua Fields Milburn. How you going, mate? Hey, thanks for thanks for uh, well, we're here in in my studio. I was, I was gonna th- thanks for having me, but we're <laughs> yeah. but thanks for coming to our studio here, mate, the minimalist studio. Josh, this is the first time me meeting you, you meeting me. Um, but I love it that your studio is very in line with what you do and what your whole brand is about. It's minimalism. aggressively simple. Hundred <laughs> percent, and that I, is the I name of, <laughs> of the simple. podcast. Aggressively simple. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the minimalists. Yeah. For uh, if people are recognizing the the voice, they can't see the hair. <laughs> oh man, that was one other. You didn't thing. bring your your, uh, your your cameras with you. <laughs> no, 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 we will no. get a pic. But I get a comment a lot about my hair, and and it's I can't tell if it's like people having to dig at me. But I walk in, they're like, bro, you're, you're three feet taller. Look at that quaff. <laughs> and I walked in and thought, mate, my quaff's got nothing on that. Yeah, I'm 6'2", six 6'5", six with hair. <laughs> <laughs> and so we, uh, you were just saying uh, before we pressed the record button that uh, this this studio space that we're in has a bit of podcasting history. Yeah, we're, we got really fortunate to find this space. We, we moved to Los Angeles about a year ago because... This is where people go to tell stories, and we're working on our second documentary. We've got um, just a bunch of projects, plus there's a lot of people that either live here or come through here. I mean, I ran into you on the street. I know. <laughs> um, and we haven't seen each other since earlier this year, back in March, yeah. when, when you uh, we did some video work together out in Australia. And um, and I'm just walking down the street, and all of a sudden, I'm, my brain like freezes, because I saw, saw both of you. Yeah. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. The, this can't be right. And I thought there was something going on with, with, with my head. But anyway, like um, we, we moved to Los Angeles uh, a year ago because there are people that either come through here or live here. And uh, we found a, a particular community here of creative people who are interesting, who are doing fascinating things, who are sort of bucking the status quo. And uh, we wanted to build a podcast studio here. And so we started looking and we were looking for office space. And it's not cheap to live in Los Angeles. It's also not cheap to have office space in Los Angeles. But then we stumbled across this this WeWork. Uh, it's the first WeWork in Southern California. There are 18 of them now. And um, it's here in Hollywood. And because it's in Hollywood, they built these rooms that are like production studios. It's different from any other WeWork you would go to. And it was the day the the uh, the, the, the podcast called How Stuff Works was what used to be recorded in this uh, in the studio along with uh, all the other. I think it's uh, I think the name of their here's some irony for you. The name of their podcast network their podcast network was Stuff Incorporated. I think. <laughs> um, and then the minimalists move in here, and we, I mean, we just remodeled the room, put up you know, sound panels, and painted, and brought in our own furniture. We tried to make it look like our aesthetic. It's it's simple, and but it's also functional, and and we want it to be beautiful. Like the bones are the beauty of the place. I don't need to have a bunch of bookshelves with random books that I haven't read or anything like that. I wanted it to be simple, and so here we are a year later. Um, we've been doing the podcast now for about about three years, and. I don't. I feel like we haven't hit a stride yet, but it, it feels good to keep doing it. Well, three years in—that's that's a good effort. Most people are pulling the pin quite early. Yeah, we've experienced quite a few different studios. We were at Seth Godin's uh, studio. What's this like? 
Well, it's a uh, complete opposite of this. It, it's it's like uh, the Staff Co. It's, it's, it's Staff Co. It's it's a, it almost feels like uh, you're in the room of an inventor. Uh-huh. There's, mm. there's well, you are. I mean, yeah. he and, yeah. and he's uh, he's a genius. There, there's. Uh, I think I once called him the the best living blogger, but that would mean that there's a dead blogger that's better than him. <laughs> and I don't think that's the case. I mean, he's so prolific. And then every day he puts out something meaningful that people find immense value in. Uh, I think I subscribe to two blogs and his is one of them. Mm-hmm. So tell me about his space. Oh, well, one thing that I can remember was just a random chicken, a squeaky chicken that was just lying down. <laughs> and I, I said, when I got there, I said, um, would you, he said, would you like a cup of tea? And I, I said, yeah, great. I'd love one. And on the cup was just a number. It was like 250, I think. Mm. I said, what's the significance of the number? And what did he say? So he's got, I think he, he loves prime numbers. I think so. He's got, he's got like a prime <laughs> number generator. This was going completely over our heads. Yeah. But, <laughs> but he, he said, do you want, do you need a prime number? Yeah, Cause I've got like, a generator. <laughs> so, no, I don't think I do. So but it, it felt like we were in Willy Wonka's, uh, you know, Willy Wonka and I was Augustus Gloop. Like I was <laughs> very excited by all the, uh, the knickknacks and, and things like this. Yeah. But I mean, that I, is a, that's quite the awesome obscure reference from, from the late seventies. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you certainly weren't born yet, so it's great that. Uh, it's, in fact, my uh, my daughter's five, and the, literally the only movie she's ever seen is is Willy Wonka. The new uh, one or the old one? The the old one. Okay, the yeah. new one's too scary. Like, yeah, bit- and she's terrified of. She won't watch Frozen because it's too scary for her. <laughs> uh, and she's like, for whatever reason, she just thinks movies are scary. But uh, has yeah. she walked down Hollywood Boulevard <laughs> with all the characters? Just once. Oh, that would be scary for her. Yeah, well, there was uh, two spider. Men, Spider Man's yeah. yeah. walking side <laughs> by side, and uh, it totally freaked her out. Like she could not figure out how that's possible. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, uh, Seth Godin. Uh, I have a friend who, who, um, I, won't, I won't mention the friend, but he was at a party at which Seth Godin was at, yeah. and you can tell. Uh, Seth is the the consummate creator because uh, at, in this party where everyone's mingling, he was off in the corner writing a blog post, <laughs> like laptop out and just sort of typing away, writing a blog post. And this was probably a decade ago or, or close to it. And yeah, I mean, he puts out a blog post every day, but he for every one he puts out, he writes three. So think about the, the sort of output there. Mm. A thousand blog posts a year kind of thing. He was saying he, he comes up with ideas in the shower and then forgets by the time he gets out. Mm. And so it has to be a numbers game. Yeah. When well, you, you know, putting everything down yeah. and having lots. A lot of people might know you, Josh, from the documentary Minimalism, that right. which for a long time on our Netflix. I don't know if it was skewed our way, but we, we saw the uh, the poster as, you know, one of the, the top documentaries. Yeah, we got, we got really fortunate with that thing. Yeah, and so a lot of people will know you from that, but you have a rich history in blogging. Like, you know, the blogging is almost where it started for you. Yeah, and it's still our biggest audience, surprisingly. I'm, I've become more vehicle agnostic over the years. Like, mm-hmm. I, I'm no longer, uh, for the longest time, I'm 37 now, but throughout my 20s, I, I wanted to just write fiction. I wanted to be an author and write books, and that's all I wanted to do, write, just write novels. And then... Um, uh, when my, my 30s came around and I, I realized I needed to make some changes in my life, it's when I discovered minimalism. You know, my, my mom died, my marriage ended, and I started making some changes in my life. And so did my best friend, Ryan, who, who runs The Minimalist with me. And we just started writing some stuff 
putting it up online. And, and in fact, we didn't even know it was called a blog at the time. <laughs> um, we called it a website and we didn't know they were called blog posts. We called them essays. And uh, cause that's what I was used to reading. You pick yeah. up the New Yorker, you read some essays or, or, and, or the Atlantic or wherever. And I was used to reading essays. So we put up a website. I thought a blog was like where 83 year old women catalog pictures of their cats. <laughs> and that does happen as yeah, well. Yeah. Those, it's yeah. now called Pinterest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those are the really popular blogs. Yeah. Um, and so uh, we, it was just a way for me to start sharing uh, uh, my writing via nonfiction. And so it all started eight years ago with, with TheMinimalists.com. The reason Ryan and I are the minimalist is because the domain was available for less than 10 bucks. Great domain. Man, yeah. I've started uh, so many things based on a domain name. I know, right? <laughs> and and it, it just sort of cascaded from there. From, from we, we wrote the blog for about a year and people kept asking us, like, well, you're the minimalist. When are you going to write a book about minimalism? So we wrote a book called Minimalism and we put it out there in the world. And then we, we went out on our first book tour with that and then eventually put out our second book. We started a podcast. We started doing more tours. But it all started with with that blog mm -hmm. and um, the rising tide sort of lifts all boats. So when, when the documentary came out on Netflix uh, back in 2016, all of a sudden we brought more people to the blog, more people to the podcast, the podcast we actually started so we could start talking about the documentary and inform people about this documentary. But in a weird way, the documentary brought people to the podcast and our biggest audience is actually in Australia as, as you, you yeah. saw, Huge um, crowds in Sydney and Melbourne. Yeah. You had a massive crowd in Auckland as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what was fascinating about uh, about that is I think what you all have realized is that the American dream has permeated your borders <laughs> and you're like, wait a minute, we don't want it. We don't want part of this, right? Yeah. Like we, there's nothing wrong with consumption, but the consumer culture is problematic. And when we want to do nothing but pursue our everyday ephemeral pleasures um, and, and forsake the things that are most important, our values, our relationships, our health, uh, our creativity, then we start to suffer. You know, we start to, we stop living in, in, a, in a meaningful way. With that, you said you, were, you weren't kind of agnostic to, to one type or you're not now, right. but you were thinking writing is something that is the passion. I've had the same with making videos, but you know, do you think you need that sort of drive for one thing to start with to then realize that no, there's other areas that can contribute to that? And do you need the others or ca and can you be just all in on one thing? I think you kind of have to be all in on one thing. Ryan and I, we work on one major project a year. So we're working on our second documentary right now and everything else we do feeds that that project. The nice thing since since 2010 when we started The Minimalist, I can sort of go back and chart every year we've had one major thing that we've worked on and I've gotten really good at saying no to pretty much everything else. In fact, when Josh asked me to, to do this, I'm like, I usually say no to this, but I really like <laughs> you. So I, I, I've done, I think this is the fourth interview that I've done all year. We did not fuck this up. <laughs> uh, and and uh, and the reason the the reason that I say no to most things is like I'm not in a mode where that makes sense right now. Yeah. I'll say yes mm -hmm. to interviews. We in 2014 we did a hundred city book tour, 119 events, and I did over 400 interviews that year. It was for our second book, Everything That Remains. And so it really made it made sense to do that then. But you go all the way in. I get really obsessive about a a project. So whether it's blogging and yeah, for that that first year it was all in. It was building that foundation. And after that, it was like, 
the book. And after that, it was doing this uh, immense tour. And then we wrote our second book. We moved to a cabin in the middle of nowhere, uh, middle of nowhere, Montana for four months. Sounds like so much fun. Yeah. Well, yeah it's, it's, it was sort of like, um, well, the Boston Globe said it was like Henry David Thoreau, but with Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. Um, that will that doesn't translate as well. I've realized in, in the uh, in, in in Australia, a lot of people don't don't know who Thoreau is for some reason. But uh, it's just a very American thing. You know, he's sort of lived in the the woods, um, but he didn't completely remove himself from society either. Like I still had access to grocery stores, but I had to drive a couple hours to make it to make it happen. Um, but yeah, I, I tend to go pretty deep on a project. So I think if you were to put it on like a pie chart or some sort of graph, it would look like I don't actually do much because I don't have a very busy life. Mm. So you got a central focus and the other things sort of feed that and make sense based on that central or center, that focus point. Yeah. I think it used to be the opposite though. Like yeah. I had a very busy life. Yeah. And in fact, isn't that like, it becomes a status symbol. Like I can't, I'm very busy. Mm. <laughs> and really what I was saying, I realized is I can't, my life is out of control. Yeah. Someone else is dictating my schedule, my to-do list. And we do that now, I, I, whether it's Twitter and I, uh, wanting to respond. You know, like I don't have any social media apps on my phone. And it's not because I think social media is inherently evil. It's because I don't trust myself with having Instagram on my phone because... Well, the, the, the inventor of Instagram uh, called it visual crack. Mm. And it kind of is that. We get lost in the, the scrolling and and there are, there are teams of engineers now. It didn't start out this way, but there are teams of engineers who are paid six-figure salaries to keep your eyeballs on their product or service for as long as possible. And so I was very busy, but I wasn't focused on doing anything meaningful, the, what Cal Newport would call the deep work. I, I just wasn't focused on on the deep work. And and once I, I started removing some of those distractions, I became less busy, but I came became more more focused. Mm. Tommy and I were talking uh, before this chat about the fact that the way I feel about you is you talk a lot about minimalism, but you have such a good business and sort of creative mind. Mm. And um, yeah, people can go and check out the, the minimalists on uh, you know, through iTunes and listen to the podcast. But it'd be great. You know, to get the perspective of some of these other elements, like mm. for instance, you know, uh, Tommy and I have just started a business together. This is you know a partnership, having a crack at the, the partnership thing. We sure. got a good domain. We got yeah. basically what? No, uh, <laughs> bigmediacompany.com. I love it. Is God, our, I love it. It's a so, it's a play on it though because yeah. we are a nimble team, right? And we want to make big impact, uh-huh. not the size of the business. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. so yeah, bigmediacompany.com is, is our website. We've registered the company and all that sort of thing. And obviously that's the, that's the fun bit that's the, the glossy bit what have you, you mean there's work now yeah, no, we're gonna actually have to do shit uh what has been the learning for you going from say corporate america and selling phones and doing all that sort of thing yeah. to being in a partnership with a friend Ryan? right yeah i mean so i at the sort of pinnacle of my corporate suffering, I was a uh, director of operations for 150 retail stores. So I, I learned a lot through through that whole process. But I also learned a lot about what not to do because, in fact, it got to a point where I was doing a job that no longer aligned with my values, no longer aligned with the person I wanted to become. And so one of the things I've learned now is uh, in fact, you were at our, our event in in uh, in Auckland yeah. with, with Derek Sivers, and yeah. his big thing is 
there's no yes. It's either hell yeah or no. Absolutely. And it's one of the things. And, and when, in fact, it was I thought about that when you asked me to do this. Is this yeah. a hell yeah? So for me, it was like yeah. yeah. Like I really want to reconnect. I really like Josh, and and this would be a great opportunity to have a conversation. By the way, it's weird now how. With podcasts, one of the ways that you get to have conversations with people is if you turn some microphones on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ryan and I talk more on microphone, I feel like, <laughs> than off mic. I don't think that's actually true, but it's becoming closer and closer to that, where we'll sit across from each other for an hour or two a week and just have these conversations and answer questions. And and if that ever becomes, uh, eh, I don't know if I want to do this, if it feels like uh, suffering... Or if it feels like, well, this is no longer aligned with what I want to do. It doesn't mean that that's a failure necessarily. It just means that, hey, going forward, the, the past doesn't have to equal the future. You can graduate from certain things as well and sort of move on as opposed to thinking that, this is going to last forever. On a long enough timeline, everything's ephemeral. And within within a partnership context, how do you get to a double hell yes with everything? Or is there sometimes, is it okay to have one hell yes and the other one is a maybe? No, no. I mean, in fact, it has to be, it, we, we say no to a lot more because of that. Because one of us will come in with a hell yeah and the other one's like, eh, and we'll provide some perspective. Uh, but we also, whenever we, we challenge each other, it's always in a way that is loving and supportive. Um, Ryan and I don't ever argue. We'll disagree. Um, uh, I can tell you're too dynamic. You probably do argue a little bit. Oh, yeah, we, we love to <laughs> yeah. beat each other up. <laughs> but but what, what I also love is coming off the back end of it because yeah. we're like a good relationship. My wife and I, we argue uh-huh. as most couples do. You know, they have disagreements or whatever it be, sure. but we love each other and we know that we love each other. And at the end of it, we're living together and we have a baby together right. and we love each other. So we get through it and it, it's almost cathartic on the other side because you take – you take from it the things that will allow you to grow. Uh-huh. And I love that my relationship with you, Josh, is that. Yeah. As well as my wife. It, it, well, <laughs> it definitely feels like we, um, you know, like we are opposites in a, in a lot of, in a lot of ways. I think that's good. R- Ryan yeah. and I are, are like exact opposites. Yeah. Um, in fact, if you look at a, like a Myers-Briggs test, <laughs> uh, we are literally exact opposites. He is an extreme extrovert. I'm an extreme introvert. For every one hour I spend around people, I, I spend eight or nine hours by myself. Yeah. Um. And and my life is now designed that way, and it's it's difficult to for some people to grasp. But uh, it allows our relationship. It, it, it that allows our relationship for the time that we are together to be better. I can be the best version of myself because of that. Uh, whereas if Ryan and I were around each other 12 hours a day, it would just be like, <laughs> oh, we, we wouldn't be happy with each other. Yeah. Um, he is a very spontaneous, in the moment kind of guy. I'm a planner. I plan things out way in advance, right? I'm a thinker. He's a feeler. People will often describe us as the head and the heart of, of the minimalist. And that, that, sort of dual perspective it provides just that it provides different perspectives so we're not just regurgitating each other's information yeah and do you do you find that you take on those different roles so one of the things that tommy and i are looking at is like well what are we best to do like what is tommy's strengths versus my strengths so that we don't have overlap have you come up with prioritization mechanisms yeah yeah it, it's it's often more through trial and error but but more 
it's more or less via curiosity. Like, what are you curious about? And it's probably going to be different from what Tommy is curious yeah. about. And you follow that curiosity because we're often we're often sold this bill of goods. Like, uh, in fact, you see it on like these accessory posters and stuff where where people say, uh, follow your passion. And I think that's total bullshit advice, right? Because it presupposes you were born to do something. Yeah. But the truth is like, maybe follow your curiosity is, is, is better advice because you have to cultivate a passion. It requires a lot of drudgery, a lot of hard work, uh, uh, a, a lot of drudging through the drudgery. And, and so for me and Ryan, it's like, oh, you're curious about that. Why don't you pursue that thread? I'm curious about this. I'll pursue this. And then we'll come back together and bounce some ideas off of each other. Uh, quite often with many of the things that we write, I'm, I'm the architect of a lot of it, but Ryan is sort of the idea guy um, where he'll, he and I will have, will hash out this conversation. He'll hand me this really ugly chunk of gold and I will mm-hmm. fashion it into one of those beautiful bricks that they, they keep in the federal reserve. Yeah. Is the, um, the, the writing part of it, mm-hmm. how has that informed the filmmaking and the podcasting? Do you, when you are podcasting, are you thinking the same way that you are when you are writing a, an essay? Writing is thinking for me in, in many ways, right? So, so uh, I write to sometimes to figure out what I think. And, and that helps me in any of those other domains, especially uh, on, in the podcast. Like knowing what I think about a particular question, um, I, you, you mentioned earlier, like Ryan and I are known for talking about minimalism and that's true, but minimalism is really the Trojan horse that gets us in the door to talk about whatever we want to talk about. Yeah. So we might do a podcast about leadership. We might do a podcast about debt. We might do a, a podcast about what advertisements, whatever it might be. And, and really it's via the lens of minimalism, but that's the 20% that allows us to talk about the 80% of everything else. Cause ultimately minimalism is, you know, if you were to redefine it, it's just about intentional living. Right. And so, so that's the sort of broader concentric circle around minimalism and allows us to talk about so much more than just like cleaning out your closet like we'll talk about that mm-hmm. occasionally but it's not that's not that interesting to me. and what's ryan's approach to that yeah i think i think with with ryan what he does he's the he's the bigger picture guy i'm the details guy and so when you talk about uh accenting each other ryan will have sort of these these grandiose ideas that i will help him dial in or i will be extremely extremely neurotic and he'll help me look at the big picture mm-hmm. in a way that i you know i'm so stuck in the forest i don't even notice there are trees here until he drags me out of the forest but is there a process of you getting pissed off about that like him dragging you out is it always yeah i get pissed off every time <laughs> um I, I wish i wish that wasn't the case and Thankfully, we're both really understanding of each other, and he understands uh, my personality enough to know when something frustrates me, and he knows how to, uh, through many years of trial and error, Ryan and I have known each other for almost 30 years now, since we were wow. fat little fifth graders, <laughs> um, and and so through many years of trial and error, he knows how to bring an idea to me, and I know how to fine-tune an idea in a way that is not insulting to him but is bringing the best of both of our worlds together what does that look like what does what look like the process that that conversation like what what can we learn from that experience in collaborating with others you know you've got a great team like you know jess and sean 
how has that informed those conversations? I think quite often it has to do with not placing blame on the other person. So instead of saying you, 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 if, if, if they were ever critiquing or criticizing or providing feedback, it's either the collective we uh, yeah, I even notice notice this with my daughter. It's not like, what are you doing? Stop doing that. It's, hey, that's not how we behave yeah. in this household. And and I think that's true with our team. You know, we have about 10 people on, on the team total, if you count me and Ryan. And, and whenever we are providing feedback to each other, it's not you, you, you. It's, hey, here's what I would find beneficial. And then there are five words that totally change my life in the way that I approach conflict. And those five words are, would you be willing to? Yeah. As opposed to saying, hey, I need you to do this. Yeah. And this could even be for a simple business transaction. You know, you're you're going to fly back to Australia. They screw yeah. up your tickets. Yeah. And you, what are you going to do? You're going to go to the counter and say, hey, fuck this. You're going to fix this right now, you piece of shit. <laughs> are, are you likely to get <laughs> that's much... T- that's Tommy's vibe. <laughs> <laughs> you I dropped the fuck. At yeah, least. You, you're, not, you, you're not likely to... to uh, Provoke them to want to help you in, in that yeah. instance. Uh, I actually had this happen recently. Ryan and I were going down to Sao Paulo, Brazil to give a talk um, last month. And they screwed up our flight. Something got ha- happened at the last minute. We show up and it's like the wrong flight, the wrong seats. We're not together. Like all this, th- these problems. Um, and she's like, she's pawning us off to the next division, next person. At one point they try to give us a phone number to call, even though we're right there oh, at the air- airline's counter. And I eventually just looked at her and I said, Okay, but would you be willing to help us? Yeah. And she looked at me and she, and she tried to go through her, her spiel again of like, well, it's going to have to be at this counter. I said, I, look, I understand that. But would you be willing to help us? There's something a little bit scary when you do it. Yeah, and, and <laughs> I am. The answer is yes. Yeah. Uh, what do you need help with, mate? Because you know, really, it's an empowering question. Yeah. Because yeah. what I'm saying there is, hey, look, I know I'm empowering you. Yeah, I know yeah. that you are able to do this. Yeah. I know you're competent enough. I know you have the power. I know you have the knowledge in, in order to take care of this. Just with those five words, would you be willing to? And and when I ask it that way. I'm giving you two options. Either yes, I'm empowered. Yes, I will help you. Or what's the alternative? Just a N- cog in the machine. Uh, yeah, right. Or were they going to say, no, fuck you. I don't like you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and it's the same with our team. If, if, if Ryan comes to me and, and, I, and, and says, would you be willing to help me out with this? What am I going to say? No, yeah. screw you. Yeah, we're like, fuck, I know that trick, you <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> it's it's right. a frequency shift. Like you're, you're bringing a different energy to the table. Yeah. You're being more clear and, and thoughtful, I guess. And you're making a request as opposed to, to a demand. Mm. But even with a request, you have to be, you have to be careful. You, you don't, because if you're constantly just asking, 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 you become a parasite. If you're just taking, taking, taking from a relationship and not providing anything, in the middle of every relationship, there's like this invisible us box. And you give whatever you can give to that, but you also get what you need from it, right? And if you're just giving and giving and giving and not getting from it, you're going to feel used. But if you're just taking and taking and taking, then you're a parasite. And no mm. one feels good about working with a parasite. And so what I found is we've curated relationships that are based on shared values. And I think that's really important. Know what your values are. Everyone on our team knows what our values are, what the minimalists are trying to accomplish, what we're, we're trying to, to, to create something meaningful for the world. But they also know what my values are, and I know what their values are. And in knowing that, we're working on the same page. Now, it doesn't mean we're 
going to always be the same. We have radically different beliefs. Ryan and I have different religious beliefs. We have different political beliefs. We voted for two different people in the last election, which in the States freaks people out. <laughs> um, and, um, and, and so what, what I've learned is like, even though we're radically different people, those, th- those beliefs are just different paths that get us toward those same values. So know what your values are, and you can both find different paths to get there. I've always found the biggest change in my life has been when I've gone too far one way. Like even thinking about this, I remember an exchange with someone at a hotel where I went back and apologized because I was like, I was out of line. So I've almost like, I know I've pushed it over the line. And I think about the minimalism movement and my thoughts towards that when I first saw the doco and loved it, Mm. but hadn't thought about adopting it to my life. And then I have a kid yeah, and then I realize, holy shit, I need more space or I need to get rid of shit. Right. And I've always tried to, and I spoke to Josh about this, finding it hard to reconcile having a child and, and adapting the minimalism principles. It's hard. Mate, I, I've, you haven't seen how many socks yeah. my son has and it's because we need him to have a lot of socks and so you're a father how mm. do you how do you reconcile that well it's it is more difficult with a family when I first yeah. discovered minimalism I was 28 my marriage had just ended I just moved out on my own I was like the the bachelor living in Dayton Ohio and I saw the corporate job and like so I had a radically different life from what I have right now it was about a decade ago and my life looked different, but minimalism was still applicable to me then. But what I learned over the years is that as you bring other people into the fold with a wife and and a kid, what you realize is, yeah, it's more difficult, but it's also more important because it's no longer just for me. Yeah. Before it was just like, I'm doing this for me. And that makes sense. I think you do have to start with yourself. That's really important. And it's not about imposing your values on someone else. It's about showing other people the benefits of simplifying. And the question I often start with is how might your life be better with less? Mm. And that question helps people identify what the values, uh, that, that, that what the things that they value are through this process. For some people, it's like, yeah, yeah, I just feel better with a cleaner closet or whatever. Other people might say, you know what? Like I've been so focused on acquiring all these stupid trinkets. I'm spending tens of thousands of dollars with money. I don't have by the way, cause I put it on <laughs> credit cards, money. I don't have to buy things. I don't need to impress people. I don't even like. And when you, frame it like that, you start to realize like, wow, I can regain control of my finances or I can regain control of my time. I can regain control of my attention. What are the benefits for you? And by the way, the benefits for my 37 year old self are different from the benefits for my 28 year old self. So they're obviously different for my five year old daughter. The benefits for her, she can hardly pronounce minimalism. (laughs) Um, It'd be cute though, whatever well, she says. Well, she uh, so at the beginning of our podcast, we have a little like drop um, we, we do on on our YouTube channel where she says the minimalists, but she says it wrong, so like the logo goes across and it and she says the minimists, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so she doesn't understand what it means intellectually, but she understands viscerally what it is because every month we go donate some old toys if she wants to bring new toys in her life, and the thing that that uh, I've taught her and that I've taught myself really is that minimalism isn't about deprivation. You can temporarily deprive yourself and that's fine. Learning what may or may not add value, getting rid of, you know, the extra gear, the extra equipment. I'm sure you know this as a filmmaker. Like yeah. you can have all the best gear in the world, but we fetishize the equipment yeah. in a way, right? Uh, I think of recording studios and we're in a fairly simple studio. It looks nice, but like 
um, we can do everything we need to do in here for our podcast just as well as if we had, you know, the big uh, 128 channel console that Dr. Dre spends a million dollars on. <laughs> it looks really cool. It looks like you're getting ready to fly a spaceship. <laughs> but what is that? What is that going to do for me? Nothing, right? Now, he may need it, but we fetishize those, those things. And what I've realized is like you can get by with very little. You can remove those things temporarily and then bring the things back in that you figure out will add value. With Ella, my, my five-year-old daughter, it's not like she doesn't have any toys. She has an appropriate amount of toys for her. And so we have a bin of toys. And and those toys augment her experience of life. They they do help make life better, more meaningful, and then ultimately happiness is a is a byproduct of a meaningful life. But if I bought her ten huge bins of toys, is she going to be ten times happier? No, she'll probably be ten times more overwhelmed, and it's actually going to chip away at her contentment. I was just thinking about ten things of toys in my house. I couldn't stand that. <laughs> it's funny that you uh, talking about that that idea of the the mixing console and all that sort of thing. I remember both Tommy and I have worked in in radio in Australia, they talk about the focusing on what comes out of the speakers, specifically in the context of as digital was getting bigger and people were getting distracted with, you know, doing other bits of content, it always came back to to that. It's like, what, is, what does it sound like through the speakers? What are people hearing? And, it's, yeah. and it's, even then you can, you can sacrifice some quality for, of, of sound. I mean, I think, you know, our podcast sounds really good now, but it didn't always. We used to meet in the echoey conference room and and uh, it was more about creating something meaningful given the resources we had. Quite often our affinity for perfectionism is so high that we just don't do anything. <laughs> and many of my biggest regrets in life are that I didn't start something sooner. We started the minimalists.com eight years ago. I wish seven years ago we would have started the podcast instead of less than three years ago because uh, I've gotten a lot better at that over the course of, of three years and figuring out uh, a particular aesthetic that you develop over time. But um, we waited because it was like, well, I got to have the right podcast producer. Or we need to have the right equipment. And what, what's, what's research microphones again? And, and, and it, <laughs> I'm geeking out at the mica uh, stands. I looked at these at a recent conference. Yeah. They're nice, man. I mean, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're good. But, but we, we got by with the, little, the cheap road ones yeah. for a long time. And <laughs> they worked just as well. Uh, they didn't look as good on camera, so we got these. Actually, they didn't work just as well. These do actually work slightly better, yeah. <laughs> but it's a marginal improvement. And so, yeah, you can, you can once you have built a foundation, we were talking about that earlier, building a foundation, you build on top of the foundation. You can make incremental improvements over time, but it really starts with like, okay, how do I get this out there? What Seth Godin would just talk yeah. about, how do I ship this? So not, not, not that it's perfect, but given the resources I have, one of those is going to be time. Uh, then equipment, so money, energy, skill set. What are the resources I have? Given the resources I have, what's the best I can do? And I want to be able to look myself in the mirror and say, okay, this isn't perfect. Nothing that we do is perfect. But this is the best I could have done given those resources I have. Why? What do you think the biggest barrier for people to not be shipping things? Well, it's weird. So I teach a, a writing class online and um, one of my biggest challenges is teaching students, and I got this from David Foster Wallace, um, teaching students that they are simultaneously 
more interesting and less interesting than they think they are. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and what I mean by that is like, you were the person inside your head, right? And so when you were inside your head, everything to you at the grocery store, and all of a sudden oh, you really want to buy these tangerines. They're really interesting to you for whatever reason, but they're actually not that, that experience of you shopping for tangerines is likely so banal. It doesn't, it's not going to serve the greater good in a way. And so I think right now when people are afraid of shipping, so to speak, afraid of publishing their work, afraid of, afraid of getting their voice out there in the world, it's because they haven't figured out the difference between what will serve the greater good and what is just sort of vapid, content generation. In fact, that's we that's the word we avoid uh, at The Minimalist. We do not use the word content. Yeah. And if we're ever co creating content, then that's a problem for me. I'm, I'm much more interested in meaningful creations uh, than just generating more content. And so what I want to do is create something meaningful that other people are going to find value. And ultimately, uh, what I've learned is that if you help people solve problems, you're adding value to their lives, then that's what they're going to show up for. That's how they're going to support you. Yeah, 98%, 99% of what we do is, is free, whether it's the podcast, which we don't do any ads on, um, or our website or, or whatever we're doing is mostly free. But then when we do put something out in the world like, hey, would you be willing to support us? We have a book out here. We have, you know, uh, we put a documentary out. Would you be willing to support us in that way? And, and people often do. Do you think people try and get that support too early before they oh build the Oh, God. Do you know how many people have reached out to me? Hey, how do I start a Patreon page? And uh, I always I always say I think it's a terrible idea to start a Patreon <laughs> yeah. page. Um, You'll make $5 a month. It won't be worth it. Right. And, but, and then the resources going into it. Yeah. Uh, and, and then also it shows up. There's nothing wrong with failing, but it shows up as a failure early on that people aren't going to be willing to back later because they say, oh, you already tried that and it didn't work. Uh, and now you're doing the same thing again later. Um, I'll give you I'll give you some context. So our podcast gets up to three million downloads a month. That's on mm -hmm. a outstanding month. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think we have 1,600 Patreon supporters. So you do the math there. Um, it's 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 staggering how few people are going to. Even though we provide immense value to those 1,600 people who support it, we do a, a bonus podcast every week, and we 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 do a you know ask the minimalists anything once a month. We do a live stream for them. We do all these these additional things that provide value to the audience. Most people they they find that the the free version of whatever that they've been acculturated to expect free, and so we tend to make money uh, on our creations in other ways, ways that we're proud of still, um, like writing books. In a lot of ways, you are at the the forefront of all of this this type of stuff. I saw that you uh, spent some time with Dave Ramsey, who yeah. Um, in Australia, he's not on the Australian radar, but in the US, he's massive, right? Yeah, uh, second or third largest radio show in the country. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, 14 million listeners uh, per week. So All about unique finance. Listeners. And, yeah. Like I've been getting into all the stuff now, the beans and rice and yeah. <laughs> all, that, all that stuff. For oh, sure. What have you? Um, what did you learn from spending time with sort of more traditional media guy? Yeah, well, he's weird, weird in a way because he is in traditional media, but I was, I was talking to him before we went on his radio show. And so we, we did a tour with his whole team. We, we brought out Chris Hogan, who is like, 
America's premier voice on retirement, basically. Um, and um, he has a book called Retire Inspired. He, his next book coming out in January is called Everyday Millionaires. How does a guy become that? Like the like because I guess he's never he's retired young, has he? Or? No, he I mean he's he's in his. I, I don't know how old he is. Yeah. He's 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 older than I am, but. Yeah. Um, he is sort of ambiguously young, uh, and, and but he's like. Also, he has the voice of God. I don't know if you if you let's go back and listen to that podcast. Well, there was a YouTube comment um, and said, "This guy sounds like he has four testicles," <laughs> um, and that's Chris. I mean, he I he sounds authoritative. Maybe they're talking about you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm certain it was Chris. He sounds like. Uh, I mean, man, you have done some serious modulation on, on his voice. <laughs> yeah. But um, anyway, um, he's a retirement guy. We went out with Anthony O'Neill, who really helps kids get through college without any debt, which is a huge, huge problem in the United States. And uh, and then uh, we went out with Rachel Cruz, who is um, Dave Ramsey's daughter. And um, uh, we did a tour stop with her. But then we, uh, we were chatting with Dave beforehand. And the thing I told him was like, hey, we're just we're trying to be a very small version of what, what you're doing. We went down there. He has a campus. I mean, you go to his campus. I mean, we're in a little one room studio here, right? Yeah. Um, he has 749 employees. Um, and his radio show was on for three hours a day, every day, but their YouTube channel, I think he puts three clips on their YouTube channel every day. He has an app that costs multi-millions of, of dollars to, to develop. It's called Every Dollar. Um, they teach something called Financial Peace University. Uh, they have their curriculum, I think, in um, over 50% of high schools now. Wow. Uh, trying to teach kids how to better manage their money, which I wish I would have had. I would have found a whole mm. lot more value in that. Um, and so he he actually is very, he's independent, even though he's most known from being on He's on 680 radio stations across America, I think, but he owns all of his own stuff. He owns the building. He owns the studio. There's a bookshop there on their campus. There's a coffee shop there. Um, And so in many ways, like what Ryan and I have done, everything we've done, we've done independently. Um, and, and so we started our own publishing company in 2012. We have organized all of our own tours. Uh, we have a really good team and I learn a whole lot from someone like Dave who uses those vehicles of the traditional broadcast spectrum, but he owns it all and he's still independent. Yeah. Was the goal for you guys to ever create a movement or did it come from? just doing the work no i mean it i my objective when i left the corporate world so when i simplified i was still in the corporate world and then when i realized like oh man this is not aligning with the person i want to be i was two blocks from a coffee shop the my favorite coffee shop in ohio called called press so if you're ever in dayton ohio check it out voted the best coffee shop in, in ohio uh and they're they're really the ones who made me um fall in love with coffee but my objective was to work there uh, enough to pay for my little $500 a month apartment. So I downsized everything, lived in this $500 a month apartment and write fiction full time. That's all I wanted to do. That was my objective. And maybe eventually I'd make enough money from writing these fiction books that I could just make a living off of writing. And then this whole minimalism thing was a really beautiful accident. We, we started the minimalists and, and you know this from, from our talk, but yeah. like 52 people showed up the, 
the, the first month. And that was amazing to me because now 52 people were reading my writing. Like, yeah. holy shit. Because like, throughout my 20s, the only people who read my stuff were people who told me no. Like agents and publishers were like, nah, this isn't good enough. Which unbeknownst to me at the time, it actually wasn't very good. But um, <laughs> that 52 turned turned into that movement. It turned into 5,000 and and uh, then 500,000 and, and, and now it's uh, about 4 million at the blog and over 20 million people a year that, that we touch through the, the different mediums. So I think we're always trying to gamify it and people are looking for the handbook of how to do it. And yeah. is, is it, do you think about it in that respect ever? Just going, what were the elements for me? And I'm, I couldn't imagine you selling the E, the ebook of mm. how to how to make a movement. It's right. not not. It doesn't seem like your your type of thing. No, but it, it kind of reminds me that you all are from from the sort of mega church capital, right? Hillsong. Oh yeah. Um, and uh, like that, you see, like I have a lot of friends in that world. Like in fact, the 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 Ramsey folks are all very Christian folks, and um, the the there's there's a fascinating sort of sub movement in that movement where like it's like guides on how to create a movement basically. Yeah. Right. And, and it's, it's, it's like this strange thing because that was never the objective with us. In fact, I look at numbers once a year. So the reason I can tell you what these, these numbers are, they're actually, I actually had to look at them twice this year and there's a weird reason for that, but it's lost, only lost your Google analytics login <laughs> and two factor authentication. No, I, yeah. <laughs> I just don't look at it because I don't want the, I don't want the metrics to dictate creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, because then I, I realize what will happen is like, oh, that episode performed really well. What's the secret sauce so that mm. I can get more clicks or views? That's not what we do. In fact, what we're constantly asking each other every week, we have a staff meeting and we're just, I, I, I always ask, in fact, the staff meeting begins and I say, Hey, this is your weekly reminder that everything we do in the staff meeting is not productive. This in, in and of this meeting is not productive. What is productive is hopefully we get something out of here. We create something meaningful for our readership, for our listenership, for our audience. So the question we're always asking is, how do we add value to the audience? Uh, how do we improve the reader experience on our website? I just had a, a, a phone call right before you got here with our web developer. And we're just, we're, we're constantly making these little tweaks and never has anything to do with numbers. It has to do, yeah. how can we make this more, more beautiful, more simple, more elegant, how can we help people better, right? And we don't have a sidebar on our website. We don't have any advertisements. We don't uh, cram graphics or anything on there. And that's it's very intentional. And so whatever we're trying to do, I don't want the numbers to dictate it. Once a year, we have a publicist, we have a, a booking agent, and we have a literary agent who ask about these numbers. And so I have to go like digging and look look this stuff up. And I will present that to them whenever they ask for it. But otherwise, I, I try to avoid it altogether because I think that stuff's toxic. Yeah. Is, is Was that from the very beginning? Oh, hell no. At yeah. first, you're like, <laughs> oh, someone retweeted my tweet. Like, uh, one of my, you know, 78 followers retweeted this. How awesome is that? Um, but... I realize that's those that's sort of empty calories, man. Mm. Like you can indulge in like if I give you a piece of candy and you eat it, like yeah. that's fine. But if your primary diet consists of refined sugar, yeah. Reese's peanut butter cups, we don't have really in Australia, so I have <laughs> not at the level. Prob- yeah, not, yeah. yeah, so I've probably overdone it to be honest. <laughs> if I'm- and so you end up like, but if that's your primary intake, yeah. you get sick. Yeah. And, and I think creatively, you get sick when when we're. 
I use those vehicles like social media and, and you, you met Jess. And yeah. So Jess is our social media manager. Um, and every, everything we put on social media, every word that is written on social media is either mine or Ryan's word. So like we, all, we create everything. But she's a curator. She curates our social media for us. And she does so in a way. She actually, she's worked at several uh, museums, like, like art galleries. Um, and, and so she's a literal curator. She's just figured out a way to do that in the social media world because it's so noisy. And I don't want to add to the noise. I want to be able to whisper and have the people who want to get close enough be able to hear it. Mm, well, I'm a filmmaker as well. You know, I guess that's our, that is our business. <laughs> but I was giving you context more than you, Josh. You know, no, I'm a filmmaker. You. I was shocked. <laughs> but, <laughs> breaking news. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, we did this thing on, on the podcast the other day. Ryan was like, hey, did I announce this on the podcast? I'm not going to buy a Tesla. And like, he didn't mean to say it that way. But our filmmaker, Jordan, who I wish was here. You, you could meet him. He's a great guy. He uh, he put like one of the news, breaking news banners. <laughs> like, right. Breaking news, Ryan is not going to buy a Tesla. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so this is a breaking news moment, guys. I am a filmmaker. But Josh and I have talked about, um, you know, getting into the craft and the nitty gritty of it versus having to chase the work and land the jobs that pay the bills and how it's like, it would be great to just, or what would be the situation if we weren't looking at that? And mm. I get the same thoughts around, uh, feeling around not looking at the numbers and focusing on the craft. Mm. But then I think, you know, you were doing it at one point and we are amongst it. At what point do you pull back? Yeah, at immediately. I mean, I, if, if I could go back and just shake my 30-year-old uh, self who was, like, obsessed with analytics, I would say, hey, man, like, this isn't producing something meaningful. Uh, in fact, a lot of the stuff you're producing right now, you're going to have to rewrite several years from now because you're, you're doing it wrong. And and fo just focus on the craft. If I could go back and, and talk to my my thirty year old self, that that's exactly what I would do. In fact, in twenty fifteen, that's what we did. We 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 went and rewrote every essay that was on our website, and there wow. was hundreds of them. <clears throat> we hired a full time editor to do this, actually. And what so, does that do to SEO? I guess you don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> I have no. I, I honestly, I didn't know what SEO was until a few years in. Someone brought it up at a conference, and I'm like, "Look, I hear you keep saying this term, um, but can you explain that? Because I really didn't know, man. Like, I, I couldn't spell HTML barely. Like, <laughs> like we figured out the one of the main reasons our site is so simple is we figure out how to cobble together a website, and like, I had no experience whatsoever. I've designed one thing in my life, and it's the minimalist logo and I've, I'm, I'm retired from design now. Yeah. Um, the silhouettes. Yeah. Yeah. I just one and done. When I think of the minimalism, minimalist, the silhouette. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what, what's the, uh, everyone's writing now in yeah. the sense of if you're doing an Instagram post, you're writing a bit of, you know, text for that. It's, it's in our culture to be emailing, to be slacking. By design, we are communicating more in the written form. Yeah. As a writer, what is your advice to, to people to move the needle in how they write and to create better writing? There's a difference between communicative communication and expressive communication. Um, I'll try to illustrate it with an example. Uh, if you get a calculus textbook, it is strictly communicative. It communicates the information to you, right? Here's, here are the equations. 
but you're never going to go to the beach with that calculus textbook and like, ah, oh, it's a relaxing day. Let me <laughs> let me figure out what the quadratic formula is, right? <laughs> like, this sounds terrible because it is just communicative. It doesn't express anything. It doesn't make you feel feel anything other than boredom. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and, and even then, it's it doesn't do a good job of even communicating that. Um, and so the other side is expressive communication. The... The most stark example is sort of the teoretic mad person on the subway, right? Like yeah. if you go on the subway and you see someone in the car, like just sort of blurting out words. It sounds like New York where we just yeah. were. Yeah, yeah. So, so you were in New York, and so you see you you see this regularly. Now, the weird thing about uh, about that is it's it's expressive, <laughs> but it doesn't require an audience whatsoever, right? Like you realize that that person who's on that 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 train is, and I think I got this from David Foster Wallace. Like I, uh, I, that expression is, you don't have to be there for that at all. Yeah. But it's interesting. Yeah. You sort of stop to look at it, but what if you can merge the two? And I'm talking even in a simple text message. Um, what if you can communicate what you want to communicate, but you can do so in a way that's beautiful and compelling? And if you can do that on, on the, grand, the grand scale, the, on a book level, that's the outer layer of a concentric circle, you should be able to do it in a, in a single text message as yeah. well. I feel like whenever I'm writing to you, I, mm-hmm. I pick up on my, because your writing is so beautiful, I realize <laughs> how many exclamation marks I use. I'm always, I'm always yelling. What does it take for you to do? When will you use an excla- exclamation mark when in, I'm a, in a text? When I'm exclaiming something. <laughs> what, about, what, about, what about dot dot dot? Uh, I mean, generally, I'll, I'll I'll use an ellipsis if if um, I knew that if there's <laughs> if it, if it makes sense to like, hey, I'm omitting a certain amount of information here so I can yeah, make this more brief. Then I'll use it. But yeah, we, we overuse. Although, I mean, I, I'm not a strict prescriptionist, uh, prescriptivist either. Like, I, I don't think that I, language is always changing mm-hmm. and text messaging is changing that language. In fact, you could argue that your generation is the most literate generation in all of history because the generation that came before me, the sort of, I, I guess what we would call baby boomers, right? If I'm, if I'm Gen X and y'all are millennials, um, the baby boomers and, and the generation before them, th- the last time they wrote a paragraph is when they were 18 years old. Yeah. And then they may have stopped. There are some people who did they, they, the last paragraph they wrote is in their teenage years. And now we're communicating all day, every day via the written word and it's morphing in a way. And, and I'm, I'm resisting the, 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 the fast change, but I also understand when people when people communicate that way it's it's different yeah talking about the fast change being in los angeles what's what have you learned about yourself what have you learned about the world being in such a unique city and tommy and i are constantly going to these places like new york and la and thinking can we have a crack here Mm. and you know you're having a crack you've had a crack you're doing it sure what's the uh, what's the learning well you tell me when when you if you think about moving to a place like that how how is this place would this place be different for you from say moving to sydney which is a city you're you're more familiar with than here but you 
you don't live there. It's a, a scale thing. I think that what we notice, it's like what you're talking about with Bree and I are walking on the street and we bump into you as we're walking along. The, the caliber of people in regards to entertainment seems to be here mm. and what we're what we try and you know discuss and think about is can we actually get there from you know, every six months visiting and doing these experiences and then going back home and taking that inspiration sure um i've always thought traveling i i, I approach it with this openness that i don't necessarily have at home or choose to have at home because okay. essentially I am just choosing to have it when I go away. And today we were even just talking about what if we sort of take that approach of seeing, you know, America as this land of opportunity, which we, we do and we see how many, and it's, we see it based on the scale of people yeah. here. Mm. Um, you see the extremes. It is yeah. extremes. And, and what if we just take that and decide to do it at home? Yeah, I mean, it's funny. You can become a tourist in your own town. I'm, I'm from Dayton, Ohio, which is the birthplace of aviation. Also, the overdose capital of America, <laughs> and um, both highs. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Um, it's a fascinating town. It was basically the Silicon Valley of the of the early 1900s, but then you know a lot of problems hit hit town the the latter part of the 20th century, and and uh, they're working on on fixing a lot of those problems now. There's a lot of hope there, but there was cer- there's certainly been a lot of despair the last few decades, but. I, I I look at a place like that, and I grew up there. But the, the the Air Force Museum is there, and like people come from all over the world to go to this Air Force Museum. And the first time I went there as an adult was after I'd moved away from Dayton, and I'm like, <laughs> well, wait a minute, like there are all these places in your own city that I guarantee you've never been to. Uh, once a week, uh, I say, actually every other week, uh, Bex and I, uh, my wife, uh, we will go out and explore a new neighborhood in in Los Angeles, uh, just yesterday, no, two days ago, uh, we're doing this thing called screenless Saturdays right now. So mm-hmm. literally, um, it's just an experiment, temporary deprivation, right? Getting rid of our, our phones for uh, the entire day. In fact, all screens on Saturday and, and literally like, uh, no GPS, no Uber or Lyft, no, uh, music, so we drove to the CD store. I shit you not. <laughs> the one of the best uh, music stores in in the country is right down the street from here, uh, Amoeba Music. And like, it's a weird experience because I don't. When's the last time you went to CD store to buy CDs? Yeah. Ever? I don't even know where you'd go. Yeah, I didn't either. <laughs> and then I realized, like, oh yeah, Amoeba's right down there. So we drove over there, and they had parking for free, which was strange. And <laughs> uh, and like, I went up and like. I bought a David Gray CD for a dollar and I realized, and I'm going to return it because like, I'm not going to need it. I have it on my phone most of the time, but like I essentially got to rent the CD for a dollar and I'll just bring it back to them and sell it back to them for a quarter or whatever. And then we just went out exploring neighbors. We went out to Boyle Heights and, and uh, we went downtown and like, we just go explore a little neighborhood without, without the GPS, without, cause that's the time. I don't know if you all even remember this. Um, there were times we had to learn a city by by just driving around it and getting lost. <laughs> yeah. And that was... Uh, now uh, it's following a blue dot. And, absolutely. Yeah. And, but, but then you don't know, you don't get familiar no. with everything that's yeah. outside of the highway or you don't get lost appropriately. And, and um, when my mom was dying, she lived down in St. Petersburg, Florida. That's why we own a coffee shop down there now. Like I really fell in love with the community. It was, it was the tail end of the sort of 
um, this was 2008. So the iPhone was around, but it wasn't ubiquitous. Maps on your phone weren't ubiquitous yet. So you still had to print out directions from MapQuest. <laughs> and so I learned the city of St. Petersburg just by getting lost and driving around the city. And it's a perfect city to, 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 to figure this out because the streets are numbered correctly. And so like you could, if you're on 79th and 6th, you kind of, it's a perfect grid. Um, and so I learned the city and I fell in love with that city. And I realized like, Whenever I go to a new city, I don't really know how to get around the city. The yeah. stupid device in my pocket tells me how to get around. And so even now, I've been in Los Angeles, and I can get to a few places, but it's harder because I'm so reliant on the technology. So one day every other week, we just hide the phone at the house and go out and explore. And it strangely feels dangerous because you don't have your phone with you, which is so fucking silly. <laughs> yeah. It's outrageous. I definitely noticed that when uh, Bree and I were traveling. Joshua Fields Milburn, mate, I uh, I had the privilege of seeing you behind the scenes uh, in Australia and New Zealand and seeing the hundreds of people that were lining up to... It wasn't even to absorb what you had to say, but many people were just wanting to say the impact that you and Ryan have had on their lives through teaching minimalism. And it's an honor that you've um, given us the time today yeah, to chat. I'm grateful. Thanks for having awesome. me. Awesome. Thanks. Have a good one.